Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street. Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street. MrDiceGuy.com and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. I'm Ryan. I'm Ian. And on this episode, I'll be talking about Hansa Teutonica. Ian? I'm going to talk about Lowlands. Ryan? And I'm going to be talking about Fabled Fruit. Gloop, gloop, gloop. I'm I'm drinking juice. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They are the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. And we are back. This is Cardboard Conjecture, and we talk about board games. And in this segment, we're going to talk about... Really? Is that what we do these days? Some board game stuff. Yeah. Staring at the computer lately. No. Playing, thinking, and doing board games. Um, uh, Ian, you you get to take the point on this. This Okay. So I managed to get another game of Eclipse in. Oh, yay. I love Eclipse. I know Ryan is all... Twilight Imperium and oh, Eclipse is just a baby version of that. Whoa, blah, 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 blah. I've never actually said that. <laughs> well, you may bo- be thinking it. <laughs> your body language has said it many times. <laughs> but I love Eclipse. It's a it's a great game. It's a, a great space uh, exploration battling game. And I I'm pretty sure I, we'd have to do some research on this, but I'm pretty sure I have. I have the record of playing the worst game of Eclipse of all time <laughs> amongst anybody. I've yet to play it, so I could challenge that. I made uh, two points, which if you've played Eclipse is not good. <laughs> That's a feat. It was a bad, bad game. So I redeemed myself this weekend. Level and not I finally won a game of Eclipse. Wow. Congratulations. Let's insert the clapping here. <laughs> now, is, is that one of those sandboxy type games? Not... Well, not really. It's, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't call it's it like, sandbox. It's not like Zion. It's, 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 it's got it's got round. No. It's got rounds. Okay, it's got rounds to it. Um, yeah, and you're you're basically you're just trying to conquer as many planets as you can as your goal, right? So, how so, many uh, how many players did you guys get? Three, just okay. three. Yeah, but is the, it the balanced at about, three though? Is it? Do you think it's balanced sure. at three? Okay, because I, I mean, because <laughs> I mean the the stated superior TI four, that I mean the the games of that that I played, you have to have a full player count for it to be any value. I think it's better with more players, but three is fine. Like it's okay. not it's not that detrimental. There's there's usually one guy who kind of gets off scot free a little bit, but not <laughs> so much this time. So I think the one of the great things about Eclipse is that it. It's got a strong ending to the game. Do you find that, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. I, I've always found like the the climatical part of the game is getting down to those final those final battles. Yeah. Toward to get those last few um, areas for those last few points. The, yeah, they're they're very. You're, you're everybody's chucking like a mitt full of dice each. Yeah. To try yeah, to just a... like, take down everybody. It's very epic ending. Yeah. And this one was for sure because it came down to a final battle for the center spot and that final battle made the difference. So whoever won that won the game. And so it was great. So it was me and Matt and we both had pretty comparable ships. Um, Luckily the other player blocked him from bringing any more ships into me. And so that helped me out a lot. And the battle itself was actually very back and forth. He'd kill one of my ships. I'd kill one of his, he'd kill one of mine. I'd kill one of his. And finally, I came out through in the end. So I finally have a win of Eclipse under my belt. 
and I'm excited. Golf clap. <laughs> cool. Well, I'll jump in here um, uh, because, because mine is kind of short and sweet, as is the games that I'm going to uh, tell you that I played. Um, yeah, these uh, are neat. Well, and I'm, I'm starting to dig, and I think I talked about that before, the whole condensed version of the, the stronger sibling game. And these, uh, what I'm talking about is Ticket to Ride London and Ticket to Ride New York. Uh, just recently got a f whole bunch of games of those in. And um, so Ticket to Ride London, and both both these games are, I would say, a shrunken version of the original, like of the original base game kind of thing. So Ticket to Ride uh, London, same system where you're set collecting, and on your turn, you're either picking up cards or you're putting down uh, connections or you're picking up tickets. And you're just making points in that manner. So Ticket to Ride London has all the classic destinations like Globe Theater, Buckingham Palace, right? All, you know, London Tower, nice little map, um, a tight little board, probably like, you know, a foot and a half by two feet kind of thing. Um, the smaller cards, obviously. So everything's shrunken down um, as, far as, as far as how the, this game is being approached. Um, I still found it has the same level of excitement. It has the same level of choices. Um, it's fast, which is awesome. I think it's like 15 to 20 minutes. Um, so the London one's really cool. The New York one is uh, like all Ticket to Ride versions. The, in the, I would say the big box versions. These are the small box versions, if I'm going to use that term. Um, each big box version has their own little take on the game. So the same thing with New York, where uh, at first I got kind of freaked out, where on the outside of the board, you usually find the, the score tracker. Well, on, on New York, there is no score tracker on the outside of the board. It is one of those little pad score sheet things that you total up at the end of it. So you've got Manhattan as your map for New York. Um, in London, instead of using trains, they use double-decker buses. In uh, New York, they use cabs. And, and yeah, so that's a cool touch. Uh, yeah. So the, and the cards are reflective too. And a lot of subways in the card art kind of thing. Um, uh, but in New York, same structure uh, of uh, picking up cards, putting down routes, claiming tickets. Um, it's the Manhattan map. And again, all of this, all of the famous um, New York Manhattan landmarks make up this map. Now, the little twist on it, like every ticket to ride, is that uh, you get an extra, there's a little kind of copper penny on it, but you get an extra point if any of your routes has any of the tourist attractions as, its, um, uh, as one of its endpoints, right? So that's kind of like the bonus where you're trying to gobble up. Maybe you're just gobbling up these routes because there's a bonus point at each end of it, right? So, um, man, I had so much fun with these two, right? Um, really good price point comparatively. And uh, yeah, they're like the small box ticket to ride. So I like this idea of uh, what they're doing with it. And I'm kind of curious where they want to go with it. So Ian, you're the ticket to ride guy. So yeah, did you say this is two player only or two and three? No, or? you could go four player. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah I was I was gonna say these look like they they would be fit into like that that two player only kind of line. Because it does the, a good job because it's such a tight map that you could still play a healthy two player game, and I've played all the way up to four player. Um, now the four player, holy man, does that thing end fast, right? Because it's you're, you're gobbling gobbling up this territory instantly. Well, yeah, they're saying, uh, they're saying a few games three of ten, 10 to 15 minutes play length. Oh, like, yeah. That's yeah, short. It's, it's great. It's, it's so, so that's much That's a good cabin game for sure. Yeah, so I, I totally recommend um, uh, those two. I mean, we played, we've been playing it a lot at the lake, so it's one of those perfect kind of, you know, appeals nice. to everybody games. So there you go. Cool. Tickets ride, London and New York. I didn't know those. Ryan, I'm so hey. tempted to buy this game. I don't want to. I don't want to listen to listen to what you got to say about it. <laughs> oh man, because because I, I go I go full junkie mode in this game. Oh, this game is so good. This was my this was my number one game from 2019. And what is the um, name of this game? Well, if you didn't if you didn't listen to that or you didn't follow me on Twitter, it was Marvel <laughs> Champions. Marvel Champions, which got 
lots of comparison to Marvel Legendary, but they're two completely um, different types of games where Legendary is a deck builder. This one is a deck. You have to build your deck ahead of time, then you go and you battle um, your, your, your big bad of the scenario. But um, yeah, Marvel Champions, and I, I finally just got to play the Doctor Strange hero deck, the Sorcerer Supreme himself. And wow, I was very impressed. I, I've, I've bought everything for this game so far, and I've been very impressed with the Doctor Strange um, deck um, more than the other ones because they incorporate, they did something different with, um, with, with the Doctor Strange where he has a, a, another separate deck of cards. It's only got five cards in it, and they call it the Invocation deck. And man, what you have there is some, you can pull off some really crazy stupid combos to deal either high damage or draw extra cards into your hand. And like his basic self doesn't do a whole heck of a lot against the big bad. But if you can combo with these invocation cards and the other cards that are in his deck, man, like, uh, so, so I played a couple of games I played against, um, Rhino, the basic Rhino, which is in the core box. He's like yeah. kind of like the first villain you play against. And um, the whole course of the whole game, Rhino did two damage to me the entire game because of what Doctor Strange was doing. I was I was stunning the the enemies. I was confusing the enemies. I was then dealing damage here, left, right, and center, pulling off some mad combos. And I was like, wow, I've never like had a game go by so easily with uh against like a a villain and then i tried it against ultron which is like the hardest villain in the core box oh you jumped to the max then and then um i still pulled out a win but it was it was much more tighter because ultron does crazy crazy things against you and then i played a game i played a two-handed player i did dr strange and i did thor i also bought the thor pack and we took on the wrecking crew and managed to squeeze just barely squeeze out a win there because oh they 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 comboed so well together um marvel champions is a fantastic fantastic game i'm starting to run out of room in my core (laughs) box with all of the packs that i've bought for this already but um that's going to be solved very shortly because they're going to come out with the rise of the red skull expansion it's a big box expansion so they're coming up with like five new villains a bunch of new heroes to play and and they're they're uh, i hear a terraforming mars joke kind of went out pretty quick here no (laughs) (laughs) no it's just it's just it's just housed in a in a a different box that you can put thing you can put all your extra cards into much like what hero realms does when they come up with those other boxes Cool. And you can just kind of store your other kings. Do these ones? Uh, how do these ones rank with the with the heroes that you have already? Um, so Doctor Strange is by far my favorite one now to play with. He's oh, so unique. Cool. Um, the other ones, Thor is very. I, I don't know what they did, or uh, maybe we haven't figured him out yet. But Thor was very underwhelming. He doesn't generate a lot of kapow. Like, like he 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 doesn't really hit the hit hit, hit as often. And with, with a lot uh, of power, like you would see him do in the movies or anything like that. So I don't know if we just haven't figured out how to play him as a character. Though the one you're not worthy. I know. <laughs> I can never find the hammer in the deck anyways. And um, the, last, the, la- the next one that's coming out actually in a couple of weeks, there's a new hero coming out. They're actually releasing a Hulk pack. And, and then, so that one might Yeah, you got to have Hulk. He's like one of the big ones. Oh, yeah. He should be um, in the main box. Why isn't he in like, the main why box? Why isn't he so, in the yeah? So 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 Hulk is in the main box, but he's kind of like those separate those 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 ally cards. He's not his oh, own okay. separate hero. You have She Hulk though he's in the main feature. box. But now he will be, and I'm pretty sure he'll be end up being even if he's no, they can't make him weak. You can't make Hulk weak. Please tell me they at least have Spider Man in the main box. Oh yeah. Okay, good. All right, good. And then, right. and then, part of the first wave of packs released was Captain America, and Captain America was awesome. Like he's really good too. Nice. See, now I gotta go buy that game. Oh, <laughs> amazing, amazing stories! Yeah. Amazing stories has it in stock, Woo. and a whole bunch of the packs. <laughs> <laughs> This 
This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. And we are back. This is Cardboard Conjecture, and this is time for the reviews. Ryan, let's, uh, let's start it. I see your name right after this. Let's start us off with some... Uh, with some uh, juice making. Some juice. <laughs> look, 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 look. I let's get it squeeze, now. Let's, 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 squeeze, let's squeeze those fruits into some juices, some of oh. those fabled juices. Yeah, I'm going to be talking about um, Fabled Fruit. Now, this was a game that was provided to us by Stronghold Games. I'll, I'll put that out there. Um, Yay, right thank now. you, Stronghold. It was, it was part of a, a large box of games that kind of showed up on my doorstep, and I was very grateful. So we're going to be using those. One of those games was Fabled Fruit, and this was on my radar for a long time. And I just never, ever got a chance to actually getting around to, to getting it. So Fabled Fruit, it's designed by Friedman Freeze. Shocker, because it's the double F or an F word game, which is what he likes to do. It's published in North America by Stronghold Games, like we said, and it was released in 2016. Um, it plays two to five players with a single game session. Yeah, it plays about 20 to 30 minutes. So it's, it's, a, it's a nice short and sweet game, but I'll get to that it's a much bigger than, than that. Mm -hmm. so let's, let's do the dramatic overview. <laughs> <clears throat> Once upon a time, there was a marvelous forest full of gorgeous fruits. These fruits could be squeezed and mixed into most delicious juices. You live in a forest and are in search of the most savory fruits. Friendly forest dwellers will help you in different ways. You are greedy and thirsty. Who will be the first to satisfy their appetite for fabled fruit? Doesn't that make you want to play this game ever so much better? So Fabled Fruit is a fable game. It was a, at the time, it was his new and unique concept in a, in a game experience where the gameplay changed over time. Well, wait a minute. I, I've heard that term before. <laughs> gameplay is changing over time. Okay. The game starts in initial, very simple state, but as you explore deeper into the game system, the mechanisms and gameplay will evolve over time. Again, I think I've heard mm -hmm. this before. <laughs> You play the game many times, and each play changes the game slightly. Oh, I, I, I thought I've heard this before. Unlike a legacy game, all right. However, the game is never permanently changed, and at any time you may easily restart a Fable game from the beginning, either after you've run through the entire game system or at any time that the many plays you'll get from this game. System. So he kind of created a legacy-ish type of system where the Soft game just legacy. kind of... Kind of just goes over and it just kind of evolves over the game. Okay, nuts and bolts. How does this thing, what's, what's going on here? So to win a game of fabled fruit, you must make a certain number of fabled juices based on your player count. So like an example, we've been playing two-player games. So to win a game, you need to create five juices. In a three-player game, you need to create four. And in, in four and five-player games, you need to create three juices. At its core, this is a worker placement game. Um, in each of the players, you only have just one worker. You'll never get any more. You'll just have just the one worker. And you assume a role of one of the animals in the forest, like I'm playing a turtle and Jen's playing an elephant right now. So, um, yep. <laughs> and, and what this turtle and this elephant are trying to do is we're just trying to gain fruits, which are represented by cards, and to make juices, which is kind of like a contract fulfillment type of, type of thing. Uh, the first game starts with just six locations in play, and they are represented by stacks of four cards. Each card is exactly the same in a stack, um, and these locations are both the action space, where players will go to gain the fruits in some way, and they're also, at the bottom of the card, uh, is the necessary fruit combination to make a juice. So it's both the action space, and it's also the contract that you have to kind of fulfill. So when a player places their little, an oh yeah, I forgot to mention that they're little animeeples. So like my meeple is actually a turtle and her meeple is actually an elephant, which is kind of 
kind of cool. Um, when a player places their enemy evil on a card location, they are you're either going to take the action or you're going to make a juice. That's literally literally all there is to this game. I am either going to take a location or I'm going to make a juice. Cool. If there's already somebody there, you have to pay them a fruit. You have to give them a fruit if I want to take a location that somebody is already on. Uh, when a player makes juice, they take the top card of that deck. So like I said, all these locations have four cards in them. If I go to a location and I want to make the juice, I now remove one of those cards, flip it over, has a little bottle of juice on it. And now I've made that. Now there's only three cards left in that stack. Also, what's going to happen is that after I remove a card, there's a big, massive stack of location cards. And after I remove a location card, I have to now add a new location card to the available actions. So there's where the game is going to change over time is we are going to be fulfilling these contracts. I'm going to be taking these cards away from the tableau and I'm going to be adding new cards to, to the tableau. So this is where the game is going to progress. Once a player creates the required number of fruits, the round ends. And so that everybody has taken an equal number of turns. If multiple players create the required number of juices in the same round, the tiebreaker goes to whoever has the most fruit left over. And if they're still a tie, they share the victory. They're all happy animals here. So that's a, that's a game of fabled fruit. It's a, like when I'll say it, it's a, it's a very basic worker placement. Okay. It's, it's what's going on here. So cool. um, my opinions, the box is very Friedman freeze, which means it's green. green. It's very green. It's not easy being green. Uh, this box also suffers from the too much box for the components included syndrome. <laughs> a la Splendor. The Splendor syndrome. Because literally all it is, it's three decks of cards and some a couple of meeples and some tokens. And then you're done. That the, the, the box is way too big. Like it's kind of like your medium sized Euro box. It could have easily been shrunk down. Now on, on that note though, they did make the cards are tarot sized. So okay. they're, they're, they're nice big cards, which is good with the style of game because these cards are the locations you're taking. Mm -hmm. So if I'm placing multiple meeples, you should still be able to read the card and know what it does, which, which, which happens here. You can still, there's multiple meeples on a tile or on one of these cards, you'll be able to still see what it what that card actually still does. Well, that's good. Okay. Um, on that note, there are no icons in this game. It is all text. All text <laughs> every day, all day. So um, it is very language dependent. So you may want, if you're interested in this, you have to probably pick up a copy in your language because... <laughs> They're, 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 they don't have any icons telling you what, what is done. There's a little bit of abbreviated text at the top of the card. But uh, what we've seen is sometimes that abbreviated text is very abbreviated, as in it doesn't tell you exactly what you need to do if you take that, if you take that action. So some are very misleading. I really like the cartoon um, animals that are provided on the art here. It's very family-friendly, very family-oriented. Regan has really drawn to that. He really likes all the cards that are in play. Like he watches us play sometimes. He wants to know what the rhinoceros is doing. He wants to know what the hippo is doing. Oh, he wants cool. To, they're, they're, they're very, um, they're very family friendly. Okay. There are a lot of location actions where you interact with the other players at the table. So this was caught us by surprise here. This is great. You're not playing a solitaire game until you meet the end game condition. Amongst the initial six locations, those initial six, three of them you have to interact with the other player or other players at the table. So I, I really kind of like this. I won't, I won't spoil what the other cards are in the deck in case you want to like play this and you want to see what this is. But there's quite a few cards there where you have to interact with the other players at the table. It's really, really cool. I was not expecting that for this type of game. There is lots of take that in this game. So if you're not a fan of being screwed over by what the other players are doing, you're probably not going to like this game. <laughs> and you've been playing this two players, so I want to hear some conclusions with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the gameplay is simple worker placement, resource management, contract fulfillment. Um, but it's this fable system that freezes design and makes this game kind of very interesting. It's not legacy, so no permanent allocations. 
but the gameplay does evolve over time. The locations change constantly as you're fulfilling contracts and new ones are coming out. This is going to change every game that you play. As in these very first six cards, it was okay. It's very basic. Like I'm trading in some cards. I'm going to trade cards with you until I get my right combination. I fulfill my fruits. Now the interactions of some of these cards are so much more than just simple, oh, I trade one with you and you trade one with me type things. Um, so there's lots of stuff that's, that's, that's coming out here. Jen and I have been playing this two-player and have played 11 games so far. So uh, I'm winning six games to five so far. <laughs> barely winning. Bar barely winning. <laughs> and every game has played so vastly different. It's very, very unique. And cool. to kind of give you the scope of how many times you're going to play this before you see all the locations. So we've completed 11 games and the highest location card so far has been location 31. There are 59 locations in this deck of cards it's and there's like four, halfway through and there's, there's four of each. So every time that you make one, another one comes out. And so every four times you complete a contract, a new location is going to come out. So yeah, we're just about just over halfway and yeah, and every game is played so, so differently, which is kind of yeah. really kind of neat. When I have to say it's very just simple worker placement, but the interactions of those location cards have all done something completely different. Cool. Okay, conclusions. If any of these things, what I, I'm about to say, um, if you like these in games, you should give Fable Fruit a try. If you like simple worker placement gameplay, you like player interaction and you like evolving gameplay, you're going to like this game. If you decide to play through the whole game and see all 59 locations, you're probably looking at 20 plus games. So just know that you're probably, but note a game only lasts 20 to 30 minutes. Like some, and even some of our games didn't even last 20 minutes yet. Okay. So, so they, they play, so you can play multiple sessions in an evening and you're going to get good value out of this game for how many times you're probably going to end up playing it. Awesome. So Jen and I are playing this game two player right now. I do not recommend this game at two player. <laughs> I, 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 I absolutely do not. Um, this is one of those games that suffers from, it says it can play at two players. You should not play this at two players. Um, there are just too many location cards where it's the player interaction is the, is the, is the key. And we've come across locations where it's like, why would I do that? There's only just one other person that I'm going to be trading with. Um, this would be so much better if I was playing with four people. I would have three other people that I'd be trading with at the same time, and I'd be getting much better value out of that location. than in. A, so those ones just end up being like, we never use those locations. We just use them just to fulfill the contract and then just get it out of the game or the, type of deal. Or the box should have um, just said three-player to... Five, six player <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it's working fine at yeah. two players i just would say it's definitely not the way that you're going to best experience this game okay um I'm at, at, at all um uh so i yeah i mentioned here that i would say i would love to play this at four player i think that would be that's going to be the sweet spot there's going to be just enough competition over locations um there's going to be just the right amount of player interaction there just to make things a little bit more interesting um, I was excited to play this game. It seems exactly what I wanted to play with, kind of like a gen. But once we play the game through all the locations and maybe play this game more with some more players, I'm going to be done with it. Mm -hmm. Once I see everything and I've played it through all the, the whole way, I'm probably going to say, yeah, you know what? I, it's, it's run its course. I'm going to be played at a buttload of times. So with that being said, I'm putting this on the bottom shelf of, 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 of the collection. Okay. I'm probably going to try to play, if I still have it, I'm going to try to play this with Regan when he's a little older. Like, again, he can't read yet, so mm -hmm. the, the, the text on the cards is not going to be where, where, where it's going to be at. If it doesn't pique his interest, it's going to go for the for sale trade pile. It's, I'm probably just going to pass it on to, to, to other people to, to enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. But, but with that said, this game has a lot of bright spots to it. There's a lot of things that, that, that people are going to enjoy like i said if you enjoy simple worker placement if you like player interaction and you like that evolving gameplay you're probably going to get some good value out of this game um just note that once you're done it you're probably going to be done with it okay um 
I look forward to seeing what Freeze does with this fabled system. Like I know he has a fabled expansion for Power Grid. He actually created a deck of cards called it. The, it called it the fabled expansion. So, and with Power Grid, like it said, it would have like some sort of conditions on it. And then once it's met, then you kind of like, you know, you move to the next. And so you play a series of games of Power Grid mm-hmm. in kind of like a legacy style. But That's it's this, intriguing. It's, it, it, it's this fable. But I haven't seen him do anything else with this fabled system. I wonder, want him to explore this because I think it's kind of a neat legacy-ish type thing where you don't permanently alter the game, but the game still evolves in, in a way. So... Okay. I can't make up my own locations and write them on the board. I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> I need stickers and a Sharpie, gosh darn it. And, and I that's want the way I likes it. Choices to be permanent. Yep. <laughs> so, um, right. that's, that's Fabled Fruit. Um, like, again, I'll probably pass it on to you guys to see what you, what, what you think about it. But, uh, sure. No, no, that it, it, it's very enjoyable right now. Like we keep saying, like we just play one or two games a night. Like say, well, mainly because now Jen and I have a competition going of who's <laughs> going to win the most games by 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 the end of it. And so, but all the, the like right now, we've got locations out where um, we're constantly like stealing stuff from each other, and then there's a market. And we're trading cards with the market and then we're stealing each other's cards. And then, oh, if I have the least amount of cards in my hand, I get to draw five cards. And now if you're the richest, oh, I get to um, take two of your cards. And oh, okay. there's a lot of crazy things that are going on right now. Mm. Much different than the original state where it's just like, draw two cards. Trade one card with the other player. <laughs> so it's it. And there's a lot of the tokens we haven't even used yet. Like I said, it comes with cardboard tokens and lots of them we haven't even, they haven't even come up yet. We're halfway through the deck. Are they going to all come up, do you think? Like is, um, there's not a situation where there's part of the game you won't ever play with. You probably see everything, right? Yeah, you're going to see everything okay. if you play because it's just the, the massive deck of cards. All the location cards are in one big deck and they're all in order. All right. You, you, you just, just play through it. So that is Fabled Fruit, Breedman Freeze, and Stronghold Games. This episode is proudly supported by the amazing team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge from right here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape's escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team, ensuring their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. Cool. Well, I'm going to take this to an even drier level. Yeah, um, you thought that was boring. If you thought that was dry, we'll wait till you get some, like, say, I need some Jolly Ranchers kind of uh, replay. So, um, I absolutely adore this um dry dry german euro hansa teutonica uh designed by andreas steading published by argentum verlag uh came out in 2009 it plays two to five players and the box says the games take between 45 and 90 minutes and they're pretty pretty accurate with that time so uh, the overview of nuts and bolts, the players act as traders trying to get victory points for building uh, a network of offices, controlling cities, collecting bonus markers, or when other traders use the cities they control, they get victory <laughs> points. It's drying here. Your teeth are drying up too. After controlling a line between two cities with your pawns, you can decide to build an office. Doesn't that sound even more exciting? Or to get skill improvement from some of the cities. Players have to improve their trader skills for the following effects, getting more victory points from offices and their networks. Networks, this has never been done before. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, getting more available action points, increasing the number of available pawns, getting the right place to the pawns, and more special power pawns. If this does not sound like juicy, 
dry euros cube pushing i don't know what's 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 more interesting or not so i'm looking i'm looking at the pictures right now and <laughs> so hansa yep. teutonica as i've been mockingly saying um is a euro cube pusher based in germany during the medieval times it's a network and a route building game that's driven by an action point mechanism so there are, within this whole game, there's all of these mini games of area control and area influence going on all over the board with regards to who is controlling the various offices in the various towns and the cities on the map. Because I keep repeating that the majority of points gained in this game is the networks that you build, right? These small competitions are going on all over. Um, uh, and while you are trying to subtly improve your player board's game engine, uh, while not attracting any attention from the other players, and all the while trying to intuit what your opponents are attempting to do as to not let them go too far ahead in their player powers. So there's this, this interesting gameplay going on on these five little areas because you have this game board that is connected to the powers on the uh, uh, the player board with uh, connected to the powers on the game board. So um, to understand the game, you must understand the parts of the engine that you are trying to create. So on your player board, which looks like a medieval desk, right? There's theme. People say euros don't have theme. The cardboard cutout looks like a it looks like a desk you're working at. You're 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 an administrator. You're you're it's an Excel spreadsheet. It's medieval Excel spreadsheet. This is what this game is. <laughs> the, the, the player board does does look actually pretty cool. It looks cool. It's 2009. They didn't have any kind of laser cut programming back then i bet you somebody did this by hand man okay so they didn't um, have computers yeah that's how, yeah. That's how it works <laughs> so on your player board which like i said looks like this medieval business desk um you have these different areas so one area is activity so the number of actions that you can have on your turn and it starts off with three actions and one of the ideas of this game is you want to push this meter all the way up to five actions per turn but you want to not do this in such a manner that you attract attention because people are going to want to get in your way. That'll make sense as I, as I move on here. So on your board, there's an area called the privilege level. Um, there's basic one to all the way up to four. So that's kind of the idea of increasing your, uh, your company's uh, um, uh, magnitude or power, level one, level two, level three, level four. Level one's only going to get you so far. You're going to have to, um, always improve your company because that'll get you into better offices, which will have you controlling more networks, which will having, you know, generate more victory points. It's all this beautiful mesh web of interconnectivity and very dry cube pushing. Um, so you have on your player board, the book of lore, which I refer to as the helicopter power, uh, indicates how many of your own cubes and discs you can move on the game board to any other space on the game board. Uh, on your player board, you also have this thing called the money bags, um, and it indicates the amount of cubes and discs that you can take from your stock to your personal supply. So there's that balance of how much, how many resources do I have at my disposal, or how many do I have to start replenishing? It's very, very uh, um, uh, kind of like a, a balancing act, I would say sometimes. And the town keys is the last area on your player board. These keys either multiply by one, two, three, or four times your longest network. So a lot of people will get caught up in, in, in improving their, their player board game engine and forget about this kind of end of game condition that all of a sudden sneaks up on you so fast. So the next question is, how do I work to get my engine better? Well, on your turn, because you have three actions, um, you can allocate resources, which means moving the money bag action to get more of your cubes available to you to get onto the board, which is the next action I'm going to talk about, which is placing and displacing uh, resource cubes and discs. This is the coolest part of the game because a resource... Um, is a cube or disc, as I said, and that uh, in your inventory, when you put when you put on the board, when you're placing resources, 
it's kind of like a lot of people equate it to ticket to ride when you claim a route but this one you can't really claim the entire route so you can claim a fraction of the route once the route is completely uh, um, uh, uh, connected um, you are able to uh, um, uh, I'll go I'm kind of getting ahead of myself but you're able to claim that route but when you're placing your cubes on you're basically trying to create these completed routes that will trigger putting an office in now as I said this is the beauty of this game this is what I'm going to talk about that unique mechanism part is the, the part of this game is wanting to get in the way of people's building of these networks. You want to put your cube in, in like, let's say in a road of four available spaces, Ryan puts three of his cubes in there and there's an empty one. Well, I'm going to put my cube in that empty spot because if he wants to claim that route, he has to kick me out. And by displacing me or kicking me out, that's where the beauty of this game comes in because you can do it, but you get penalized and I get rewarded. If I get kicked out, I get an extra cube or I get an extra disc to put on an adjacent route. So there is that whole strategy and that idea of the displacing um, and placing discs. Another action is the moving resources, which I call the helicopter move. Now that might be breaking the theme, Norm. <laughs> might be. Yeah, but I mean, the game says that you're rearranging your resources which I can understand where it's like, okay, I'm taking, I have got over staff in this area of my network. So I'm going to move them over to this region because I'm understaffed in this region. And I think that's what the game explains, but Hey, it's a helicopter. Everybody loves helicopters. <laughs> so that's magic. the idea is that you can rearrange your allocated resources and basically pull them off of areas of the map and put them into different areas of the map instantaneously occupying a whole route. So that's that whole uh, element of the game where you can pull a fast one on people because they're not paying attention to the ultimate big picture. And uh, finally, once you establish a trade route, you can claim that trade route. Now here's the beauty of this game as well. In claiming a trade route, you get two choices. You can either put an office in one of the uh, terminal uh, um, uh, cities on either end of that route, which uh, creates this connected network that is basically your idea of the game of having this network building with the end of game multipliers, or you can up your engine, depending if you pick the right cities that you're creating these routes in, you can decide I'm going to, instead of putting an office space in, I'm going to upgrade my uh, player board. And as I said, the upgrade cities are connected to the player board cities. And uh, so if you're working on a trade route that's connected to a specialized cities that's gonna increase your action, a lot of other people might go, I'm gonna get in your way and make that just a little, I'm gonna benefit from being a pain in the butt in your route building because I know you want, you're going, I can see you're going to upgrade your actions or um, how do you win this game? Yeah, it's a shocker. It's a Euro shocker. Victory points, my friends. Oh, I was going to go control most territories. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and that's kind of the idea, right? With, with generating points. So how do you, you get victory points? Now, is it most points wins? Most points wins, right? So you get points for oh. controlling, being the major office controller. I didn't catch that sarcasm there. <laughs> so dry that it went right past me. Um, you get victory points for, uh, like every good Euro board where you have a meter. If you can get to the max slots of your meters, you can trigger victory point conditions. Uh, there's bonus markers that I won't get into because that isn't, you know, another 10 minutes of explaining how they can be a functional <laughs> part of your strategy and, um, the offices that you control. Um, and then basically down, like I said, the most important part of this game is that network and the keys. So you get victory points obtained by your largest network and the end of game bonus multipliers, add all these up and the person with the most victory points wins the game. So my opinions, and I have many and they're all pot. Well, <laughs> they're all positive except for the artistic interpretations. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll start off right now from the outside in the box cover. This has got to be the ugliest box cover that has ever been published and printed. And I'm even talking like bad calendars from the little kiosks that you see in the Christmas malls, right? 
This is bad medieval art that museums wouldn't even allow. Um, yeah, it's, all, it's, it's pretty bland. Yeah, in my notes, the only value is the jokes that you can come up with on how bad this art is. <laughs> this guy's mustache is, I don't know what that is all about. <laughs> <clears throat> well, what, 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 was, what was the, your, your, your cousin's oh, um, uh, the, uh, little, little, little saying whenever they saw this guy? Sven Svedersen. Sven's, yes, this looks like Sven Svedersen. Yeah, and they would have, they'd have the worst accent, but uh, oh man, it is by far, I think the best joy is, is what kind of mocking you can attribute to this image. So yeah, it is, it's so awful. That, that poor like, guy's probably listening to our podcast now crying. It's so, but it's like cult classic. It's like, it's like, you know, Valley Girl, Eraserhead. They're so bad, they're good. <laughs> Right. Uh, the components. Well, I mean, there's just kind of two materials in this thing. It's cardboard and cubes, cardboard and little wooden components. So you can't really, you know, go far off the rails with that one. And I, and as I put, it's Vulcan in its simplicity. There's yeah. there's no over the top with this. Uh, with it's these your components. standard, it's your standard <laughs> two thousand and nine euro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cubes of the same size. I mean, this could even be mistaken for El, Gar El Grande components. Um, the rule book, uh, 2009, let's just say translations and rule books did not really jive back then. Probably one of the more <laughs> difficult rule books to interpret. I had to go to BGG and and like download Arata and watch both three different visual versions on how they interpreted different rules. I think I've got this down, right? Um, the game system, this is where, the, I, should, I should insert like a choir singing right now. The game system is an absolute joy because there is no randomness. There is no luck in this game at all. There's a standard set of action rules uh, and in such a different way to implement them that depending on the actions and the behaviors of the others and the state of the board when it comes to your turn, everything is a tactical, intelligent, delicious choice. Um, this is where the depth exists because you're playing the game, game state and you're playing the people at the board, uh, at the table. And uh, my favorite is I, always just, I think of Bruce Lee, right? You're bending like a reed in the wind. Uh, if there's too many people uh, going after trying to do a certain upgrade, well, there's, an empty, there's something being ignored that nobody's paying attention to that needs, that can get exploited, right? By just you. That's that whole paying attention part. Um, the unique mechanisms I basically clued into it is that displacement idea of, yeah, the goal of this game is to be a pain in the butt and get in the way. So don't be upset. If I look at you square in the eyes and smile as I put my cube in that empty route and all of your empty routes, because now I'm thinking I get to overbuild as a, as a reward to your penalty. And when it comes to my turn, that's just part of me. Like that's part of the, the 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 variable of that acceleration in this game is you need to play up that that part of displacement everybody else's displacement um does this all connect well i mean i have never done too much research on hansionic trade but as far as the game mechanism and the 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 way that you can tinker with the architecture of this game system to me is just so beautiful because every person at the table is going to play it differently and you have different people at the table playing this game. So the, the variability engine for me is just, is just, is, is like cranking. Yeah. It, 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 it's who, it's who you play with. That's yeah. what's going to make it variable. Yeah. So um, the idea, does this all connect? Yeah. This, this is the sweetest, sweetest engine and I, I mean, I, I, cr I get cranky with, with Splendor being just an engine thing, but yeah, I get it. A lot of people go, it's a mechanism only game. Yeah, but it's so good, right? Um, my conclusions, this game is, like I said, 0% chance, 0% randomness. It is so Vulcan in its cardboard DNA 
that you basically are playing the game state. This is the quintessential networking um, and it's game and it's, it's proudly on my uh, uh, top shelf. And I didn't even get into the little expansion uh, boards and the play of this too. This is just the base game. So I absolutely love this game. Uh, and I, and I hope I, I hope that came across. This episode is proudly supported by Mr. Dice Guy Online Board Game Retailer, located right here in Saskatoon. Mr. Dice Guy is always stocking the hot new titles, as well as restocking all-time favorites. They even have a ding and dent section for previously played titles. They offer free shipping across Canada on all orders over $200 or free local pickup if you're in the Saskatoon area. Check them out at MrDiceGuy.com. Saskatoon's Mr. Nice Guy is Mr. Dice Guy. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't tell that you didn't like this. That you like this game. Now, are are you? Now you see you have you have the expansions. You said that, right? Yeah, yeah. You so so you're probably not interested in purchasing the Hansa Teutonic the big box. I'm I'm Which curious. Just the box, at, mind you, Norm. Just the it's box. It's just the box. It's a hundred dollars <laughs> for just the box and some and some plastic models of the cubes themselves. <laughs> They're cube shaped, but plastic. But, but you can same print size. them out. Yeah, the same size, but they're plastic, right? Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I, like what I have. No, I, I, all I can all I can see here is that uh, yeah, they're because they're coming out with the big box this year, which is kind of like bringing this game that's been out of print uh, back into print and, and just including the expansions and, and, and the, the hard to find actually expansions. Yeah. They still have Sven Svenderson on the box, though, right? <laughs> I, I have, um, no, I'm looking at it right now. They, they, so. they've, they've updated. They've got rid of his mustache, which is kind of a shame. He's, <laughs> he's not. He's not as prominent. Who is he without his mustache? It's, that's that's, his it's that '70s cop show mustache. It's so awesome, man. It's like Starsky <laughs> it's, and Hutch all over again. It, it's kind of like it's kind of like they took it the same box over, but they kind of like gave it some. A bit more color, like like I say, a bit like 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 a dash. The box, the box cover is so bad. We're making Starsky and Hutch jokes about the box cover. That's how good this box cover is. <laughs> but I'm just so happy that everybody gets a chance to play this game now because I'm telling you, if if you haven't played this game, and you are the type of brain that just does not like to have your game be flipped because of randomness or because of luck. Um, this is all about honing your skills in a big way. So, Ian, have you played this? I have not, no. What it's, everything you're saying, not necessarily the mechanics, but I'm getting a Kalis vibe in the sense yeah. that it's kind of old school Euro, but mean, right? You can be mean to everybody. It's, but it's not, that's, that's the displacement thing. Immediately everybody goes like, why are you, why are you doing this? And it's like, no, 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 no. It's about this. This is what the game is about, is getting in the way and profiting from this, right? Like, if you want to have a monopoly, it's going to be kind of expensive. And, yeah. So, so yeah, I can – and everybody else, they got to get over that initial – that initial, I would say, paper cut. The ownership idea? Well, yeah, it's like you don't own the route. You're, you're basically just you're, – you're, you're sending your tr- – your, your, your your network you're trying to establish a network your your market you're trying to make this market connection so <laughs> yeah i i i can't encourage this uh, enough to people so no i no i've enjoyed i've enjoyed my plays when i've played this with you it it, it, it it's like i say it is very good it's mechanically it's sound yeah in in, in its in its approach it's it's now you tell me yes or no for me at least it's one of these games that every and even if i lose it's one of these games that I'll sit back and think, you know what? The next time I want to try this. No, I, I, well, I didn't because I, I won both games that I that I played with you. So, 
So, I'm so I know, definitely I, 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 editing that out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is a perfect time to transition. Ian, <laughs> what do you have for review? Okay, so I thought I'd give throw a little bit of love at a, at a game that doesn't get a lot of attention. It came out a couple years ago. Lowlands. Yay! Have you guys heard of this, Ryan? I, I can't remember if you've played it or not. Yeah, I, I played it on my. I, sh- Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, so I play, I play, yeah, I played. I played this once with you. Okay, good. Yeah, I thought so. And I have so it on my is... shelf of shame. Oh, do you? Right you haven't me. played it? Yeah. Well, let's see if I can convince Norman to play it. So, Lowlands was uh, produced by Z-Man Games. The designers are C and R. Partenheimer. Uh, it's two to four players. Um, I would recommend at least three, though. You need to play with at least three. It's about 60 to 90 minutes. And this is a game about drowning sheep. So, <laughs> is that a metaphor? <laughs> <laughs> it is not, but it can be if you want to. Okay. Um, why are sheep such a big deal in board games? Like, <laughs> board gamers, there are sheep in almost every board game. I don't, what is that all about? I don't know. It seems, it seems to be this, uh, this, this non-unique, this, this very unique theme of like, you know, farming. Are you and... trying to say that it's <laughs> bad? <laughs> oh, I'm fine with it. I just think it's a very interesting uh, quirk of our hobby. Anyway. So in this game, you are a shepherd in the Netherlands and the setting is actually important. I'll get to that in a second. It's important that you're in the Netherlands. And what you're trying to do is you're growing your farm and breeding and buying sheep on your farm and building buildings on it. You know, all that, that stuff that you do in wait a lot wait, of these. Wait a minute. I've heard, I've heard this before. <laughs> this, <laughs> yes. is, this is new to board gaming. <laughs> now, why is the Netherlands important? Well, because the Netherlands is famous for being under a, a country under sea level, right? And so flooding is a problem in the Netherlands. And so they've got to build, build dikes and stuff to keep the, the floodwaters out. And that's the same in this game. And so in this game, players are collectively trying to build a levee that's going to hold back the flood. And so your points in the game are going to come from the sheep that you've got left at the end of the game, all the sheep that you've, that you've acquired. And also, you're going to be getting points for contributing to building this dike that's going to keep the floodwaters out. But the value of the point value for both of these is going to be affected by how much flooding actually happens in the game. So there's like a scale um, that tells you how much sheep are worth and how much contribution points are worth. And what happens in the game affects that scale. So that's, it's kind of like this fluid thing that affects what the end game is going to be. So um, that's, Kind of, I'll just kind of go through what I think of the game and I'll talk a little bit more about how the game works as I do that. You bet. The box. So the box is kind of cool because it's, <laughs> it's light colored on one side, dark on the other. So it's kind of got the nice sunny days and then the, the dangerous flood days. It's got a shy looking or a sly looking little sheep on there. He's up to something. He's up to shifty um, eyes. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Uh, the art is kind of classic, right? So it's kind of more like an early 2000s aesthetic, kind of one of those Euro game aesthetics. Think of Gricola. Gricola is very comparable to a game like this. Yeah, I thought, I thought this was a Clems Franz artwork, but it's not. It's uh, Andrea Bolkoff. Yeah, it's, the, it's a little bit more like the people are a little bit more realistic than, than mm-hmm. someone like a Gricola. Um, the wave pieces are really cool because they're kind of blue and stackable. Um, the tiles, I would say, like the the iconography on the tiles isn't entirely intuitive. You can't you need the mm-hmm. the rule book, the appendix to figure out what they do. So that's kind of that's too bad. Um, and I'm somebody who loves Race for the Galaxy icons. Like I'm I'm perfectly okay with something like that. I don't know. I just have I don't think they're as intuitive as they could be on these tiles. Um, the turn track, there's a turn track with a bunch of different phases and that can get a little confusing because it's hard to tell what phase you're in and what you're doing, but I think it, I think it's laid out okay, but the rule book, again, you kind of need that to figure it out. Um, the cards, or sorry, the resources are cards, which is, you don't see a lot of that these days. Mostly it's like wooden bits. So this is kind of going back to Catan where we have our cards or the resources. I would say there's a lot of little rules to keep track of. And so that might be um, 
a strike against this game is it can get a little confusing with all the little rules here and there. So like, for example, when you're building, when you're contributing to building your dike, everybody else actually gets a chance to contribute also on that turn if you decide to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's a rule that's really easy to miss, but it actually provides a lot more interaction into the game. And so it's important, but really easy to skip over when you're, when you're learning it. Um, also, there's some rules about what resources you can use to build the dike, and it has to be the same resource as what the previous people used, and that can get a little confusing. Um, now, the way that the game swings, this is why the game is so interesting. So depending on how the game goes, is you may actually not want that flood, or you may not want to stop that flood. You actually may want the floodwaters to break. Um, so let's say you didn't actually invest that much in sheep. Well, maybe you're okay with all the sheep drowning and <laughs> having everybody else lose their sheep, right? And so the way that the game ends, there's like a final storm. You're building up to this final storm. And if you don't stop that storm, it will kill a bunch of sheep. If you contribute lots to the dike, but the dike still fails, you actually get rewarded for at least trying. And so there's kind of these, this weird back and forth um, middle thing that's, that creates some really interesting dynamics in the game, right? So it's almost like you got to find this middle ground between helping everybody, but then screwing them over at some point too. Cool. So I don't know, how important is end game to you guys when you're playing games? Like having a strong ending... Uh, you know, like I, I like I, I like the I like the feeling that I've built towards something, and and that 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 thing is going to be what's going to ultimately decide if I win or if I lose. That yeah. that that's yeah, I've always felt like that that should be something. I mean, also too, it all depends. For me, it comes down to is the is the intent at the end of the game part of the design of the game or is it a consequence of the design right so if the designer means it to be that way okay i might not like it but if it's if that's the way it's meant to be and it and it does it well then it's just my taste that's getting in the way of it so to, I, i'm i'm kind of it all depends it all depends on the experience for me at yeah. least this is interesting the way the ending of this game is interesting because we had talked i had talked about eclipse a little bit earlier Mm -hmm. And Eclipse is a big fighting game, right? It's a combat game. And so it usually leads up to the last few battles. And that's a good feature of Eclipse. This is interesting because this also leads up to a specific event at the end of the game, which for a Euro game like this is actually pretty rare, right? Because like Ryan said, it's usually about building up to building up your, your area or your network or whatever it is that you're building up and then just seeing how how good that was compared to and, anybody and else. triggering yeah and triggering right. the game yeah and so that's what most of these games are like this style of game this is different i mean it, it's still all there you're building like buildings on your farm you're building features on your farm you're going to get points for all the sheep that you've bought everything like that so all that is there but then it all depends on this last <laughs> storm right and what happens there depending on how you've been playing the game and how successful you've been, it could switch on you like a dime, right? If the it levy just, breaks, yeah. Yep, the levy can break and everything you did is suddenly just washed away. Washed away. Whereas you could be building up and hoping that dam breaks by building up different things, right? By contributing to the dike, by selling off sheep early, things like that, or focusing on your farm buildings and then you actually want everybody else to lose their sheep. So you might want to, that dam to break. And so I kind of, I like that idea of just that building up to a final event. And then whatever happens is going to happen after that. And I don't mean that as though this is completely random. That's not the case. You are aware of both possibilities, right? And you kind of have to think about hedging your bets, right? Well, if we don't build up the dam enough, and this breaks, is that going to affect me less than everybody else? And am I, am I okay with that? Right. And so it's a very dynamic game in that sense. It's very fluid. So on the surface, this may seem similar to many games, right? You look at it and I think most people would look at it and think Agricola, right? Yeah. Um, 
or any other kind of farming type pastoral mm-hmm. game. Any but Rosenberg. Yeah, it, it, yeah, very much so. But it actually, feel, when you're playing it, it actually feels different than that. It feels quite a bit different because of this flooding opportunity. And now it's still got similar elements. I really like the, the buildings that you can build. They do some really cool things. You've got the fencing idea. You've got to have fences for your sheep and keep them all in, in the right amount of squares and all that. But it does feel different because you're very reliant on other players and you're very reliant on what's happening throughout the game at each of the different stages. It's not the easiest game to learn because like I said, there's a lot of little fiddly rules that you kind of got to keep track of. And so it's hard to see, and it's really hard to see how the game works the first game, right? It's hard to see exactly how all the dynamics are going to work out. So you definitely want a learning game. Um, But for those who like resource-based games like this, but you want a unique element, you want something that takes elements you know and does just does something different with it, Lowlands is the way to go. Yeah, I, I really like Lowlands. I'd say it's a, a middle shelf game. Um, we don't, it's not one that comes out too often, but, but it's, uh, it came There's out a couple right. of years ago and I just don't think that it gets enough attention because it really is something different, I think. Yeah, this cool. was, I, th- I think you nailed it really. This, I think this was a hidden uh, gem amongst a lot of different uh, games that were coming out. Because what year? I'm just trying to look at what year this 2018. came out again. 2018. So yeah, so a couple years ago, you're in your you're in the middle of your. Uh, that was Gloomhaven year, big, wasn't it? Big big boom of yeah, I think that was a Gloomhaven year. Yeah. yeah. See, and I uh, I I can't wait to get to it because I found on BGG someone created a solo Automa deck that i printed up and that i want to run through so hey we got something to talk about next time so you you said it's the middle shelf yep does it have any potential to go up well i wouldn't say it's it's not going to reach like the echelon of my favorite (laughs) games like it's not a seven wonders puerto rico i don't know that it's got that much staying power necessarily and it's not one that it will take out and we'll play like every week or anything like that heavy hit like a lot a lot of heavyweights came out that year well and the theme probably has something to do with that right because it's cheap and people are like well i've got 80 (laughs) games about sheep already but i think you got to emphasize the the flooding the the storm surge yeah that's a cool mechanism right on well i think we're at that time and uh i'm gonna say thank you to everybody who made it to the end of the episode maybe um, to the end of our ramblings the ramblings <laughs> uh so thanks for listening i'm your host norm and i was born a rambling man ryan i'm ryan <laughs> i mean and we'll catch you later Bridge City Board Gamers, and you can find us on Twitter at BC Board Gamers, on Facebook, Bridge City Board Gamer Community, and on YouTube at Bridge City Board Gamers. You can also find us on BGG Guild number 3039.